This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so the reading tonight um, is from John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, good evening from me, and may I say, uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Rory, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the uh, members of staff here, and uh, it's great that we can be looking at this section of John, although I'm sure you agree as you read through it, you thought that is absolutely rammed full of stuff and so we truly need God's help tonight to uh, to really get stuck into this we want to work hard we want to work hard at this because there's real treasures uh, in this passage let's pray as we begin and then we'll see what this has to say to us father uh, we thank you so much uh, for this your word we thank you for all the uh, blessings that we have received by uh, reading through this book of John And uh, we pray now that as we consider uh, the sort of last moments of the book, that you will help us. Will you help us to work hard? Will you help us to listen? Will you help us to see the glories of the gospel? Help us to see the glories of Christ and what it means for us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder what you would um, say the meaning of it is finished is what does it mean it is finished i think it's quite an easy question actually isn't it if something's finished it usually means that a task is completed that uh, it's all been done it is finished have you finished yes i've finished i've finished that i'm moving on to the next thing now it's an easy phrase to say it's an easy phrase to understand But actually, just because you say it is finished doesn't always mean it is finished. Now, you might be you might be uh, familiar with this or or is it really finished? You might ask the question Uh, if anyone you may have uh, encountered people like this at work where you say, have you done that job? They say yes. And it turns out that they actually haven't done that job. They've done parts of that job. Or if you have kids and you say, uh, have you finished your chores? They say, yes, I've finished. You said, have you really finished your chores? Have you actually done this, that, and the other? They say, no, I haven't done that. So it's not finished. You go to a child in, in school and you say, have you finished your work? They say, yes. You say, well, have you answered this question? They say, no, it's not finished. Is it really finished? And actually, we see here that Jesus' words in verse 30 are, it is finished. 
It is finished. Now, we might, though, question, is it finished? Is it actually finished? Did it actually happen? Is, is what Jesus is claiming to have done, done? Now, you might be here, and you've never come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And you may be thinking, no, I'm not so sure that what he's saying is true. Is it actually finished, what he's saying? Or maybe you, a Christian, are here, and there are times in your lives where you've ended up doubting, and you ask that question, is it finished? Maybe it's a, a, a time in your life you've, you've, you're struggling with sin. You've, you've messed up in the same way again. And you look at the cross and you say, is it really finished? Is my sin actually made an end to? Why do I keep on sinning? Is it finished? Maybe you, you hear the arguments against the gospel. Jesus didn't really die. People do not rise from the dead. The Bible is a, a made-up story. And so you ask the question, is, is, it, is it really finished? Is it finished? As you look at a world and you see people going away further and further away from Christianity, is it really finished? Why are people not coming to know Jesus? They seem to be going further away from Jesus. Is it finished? Is what he did, it, did it work? And I want to say that this passage answers that question, that it's absolutely finished. I've got three points, and they all start with it is finished. We're going to see that Jesus is really dead. We're going to see a bodiless tomb, and we're going to see my God and your God. And as we go through these points, I want us to see the proof that it is finished. I want us to see that the Old Testament is fulfilled, that prophecy is fulfilled, and I want us to see the power of those words, it is finished. So let's have a look at this now. Firstly, then, it is finished. Jesus is really dead and buried. It is finished. Jesus is really dead and buried. So here's the proof for you. We come to the story in verse 31, and it comes to be that the Jews now apparently are really worried about religious things again. They've killed an innocent man, and now we really want to keep the Sabbath because we're so righteous. That's what the, the Jews are thinking. And so they want the legs of the criminals and those on the cross, including Jesus, to be broken. Now, you might be thinking, why do they want the legs broken? Well, this is where it gets a little bit gory because in crucifixion, you needed your legs to lift yourself up to breathe. If you break those legs, you can no longer do that. So you're speeding up this uh, process of death. And so we come to this scene in verse 32, and the Romans, they would have had some massive hammer, basically, that was very blunt. They come to the first criminal, and they break his legs. They go the other side of Jesus, and they break his legs. But then they come to Jesus, and they don't. Because what do they see in verse 33? But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So here's your first proof that Jesus is dead. The Romans come, they see 
uh, Jesus on the cross and they say he's already dead. That's good proof, by the way, because the Romans were pretty good at killing people. Yeah, they, were, they didn't usually make mistakes. They were professional executioners. They weren't, didn't make blunders often. Okay, but, okay, but we want some more proof. Well, let's keep going because in the next verse, what do they do? Instead, verse 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus aside with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Okay, so let's just make sure he's dead, one of the Roman soldiers says. He grabs his spear and he jabs Jesus in the side with that spear. The blood and water flow out, showing that he's dead. They, they, they think there's a, there's a couple of arguments about why that happens. But essentially, it might be because, sorry, that when you are dying on a cross, you're dying of asphyxiation and your lungs fill with water. So that's the, the release of blood and water. But I think it also shows, even if we're not sure about the medical expertise of this, if you stabbed someone who's alive, they would usually react some way. Yeah? They might say, ow, when a big sharp stick gets prodded into them, but Jesus doesn't. That's proof number two that he is really dead. Proof number three, verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. This wasn't done in a dark corner John, they think that the, the, the commentators think that this is John. He is there. He's looking. He sees the Roman soldiers come. He sees them not break his leg. He sees that they see that he's dead and they see him pierce his side and he sees the blood and water. And John is saying he is really dead. That's the proof. But more than that, it's not just that he's dead, but he's also buried. You'll see as we read, as we read through there, the word body is used three times. Verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Later on, he came and took the body away. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and stripped of linen. This is not a live, walking and talking body, is it? This is a dead body. This is dead. Jesus' body is dead. And so they take the body and they wrap it in linen. They're wrapping and wrapping. You don't wrap up live bodies. It would be slightly silly. But not just that. Not do you just wrap the bodies, but they have a cloth that goes over the face. And you'll notice in verse 39 that Nicodemus brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms of the stuff. Okay, That cloth is going over your face. Okay, If, that, if that's going over your face and you were a alive, even after the off chance that Jesus is alive, which he isn't, that's going to suffocate him, right? It's packed full of all this gear. He's wrapped across his face. If he was alive, I think at this point he might start shouting, no, 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 no. But he isn't. He's really dead, and he's then really buried. And he's given a proper burial, isn't he? He's put in uh, a new tomb in a garden that no one has ever laid in. It's really, really important, this. It is finished. He does that. He has to die. It is important that he dies because if he doesn't die, 
He hasn't paid the price. Because the wages of sin is death. He needs to die my death for me for to be finished. The work has to be done to gain the reward. So there's the proof. He's dead. He's buried. Yeah? Don't try and argue with that because you'll look silly. But let's look at the prophecy because this is deeper. This is deeper than just that. You'll notice in verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now, this is where I'm starting to get excited, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to see some excited faces here. Not one of his bones will be broken. That is amazing. Now, you would, have, you would have seen that throughout this passage and throughout John, he keeps on talking about the Passover and preparation day, that this is a special Sabbath day because it's Passover time. Now, if we go back to Exodus during Passover, what was the requirement for the lamb that they killed to spread the blood over the doors? Well, the requirement for that Passover lamb was that its bones would not be broken. This is the perfect Passover Lamb of God. He's the one that has to die so that we may be sheltered from the wrath of God. And we see that further on. You go to Psalm chapter 34 and verse 19 to 20. It says this, the righteous person may have many troubles, that's Jesus, but the Lord delivers them from all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. So even in Jesus' death, he's, he's fulfilling prophecy. Even in this death scene, God is working. So, the bones are not broken. But more than that, go to verse 37. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So it's been prophesied years before this that the, the one that comes will be pierced and they will be looking upon them. His bones won't be broken, Exodus, Numbers, Psalms, but also his side will be pierced and they will look upon him. And here it is being fulfilled. But there's more. Ha. Verse 41 to 42 there he is, he's put in a tomb, and he's put in the tomb of a, of a man called Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, as well as being a very uh, important man, is also a very rich man in Matthew. And that's pretty cool as well, because in Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Here he is fulfilling all sorts of prophecies and he's not even alive. I can't fulfill anything as an alive person. Well, some things maybe. So God here is working. Jesus is fulfilling even in his death. And this is finished. It is finished and there is power for his people. The power in his people. Did you notice when he was pierced? What came out? Blood and water. And a lot of the commentators think that symbolizes something. What is it that blood does in the Old Testament? The blood justifies us with the Father. It makes us right. It says we are 
innocent in the eyes of God. What does water do? It washes us clean. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he dies, and in his death, he can bring us justification and sanctification. But also, you'll see that his death draws people out. Did you see the two characters that are here? Verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. We've seen Nicodemus. We love Nicodemus. Why? Well, he, brought, he, he was the man who early had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. These two men are important men. They are men of the religious establishment. They are men in ruling uh, position. They're rich man, men, as we've already seen. And before, they had been scared to be associated with Jesus because they were worried what people think. But now look what happens. No longer is Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night. No longer is Joseph of Arimathea saying, I, I don't want to be associated, associated publicly with Jesus. No, they're drawn out. And they're saying, and, and you think, well, what a bunch of cowards not being willing to. But this is quite remarkable because it's when Jesus is at his weakest, dead, at his most humiliated, where he has nothing seemingly to offer them, that they then go, I want to be associated with this man. They're willing to put it all on the line. And that's what Jesus' death does. It brings people out. It draws people to him. We've seen already in John. And so it is really finished. It is really finished. Jesus is really dead. Jesus is really buried. The price is really paid. It is finished. That is good news. You might have a question, how do we know? How do we know it is finished? Yes, Rory, you say all of these things have happened, justification, sanctification, but how do we know? Is it really finished? Is it? Yes, it is. Second point, it is finished, a bodiless tomb, a bodiless tomb. And so look at the proof here. We come in chapter 20 and verse 1 and we get a new day. It's a Sunday, it's dark. Now the darkness might seem like it's quite gloomy and depressing and that certainly is the picture for Mary Magdalene as she walks down to the tomb to see her beloved saviour, the one that she has loved so dearly through his life. But it is a new day. The light is coming out and we should start getting excited about this. And as she comes down, what is it that she sees to the beginnings that it is finished. Well, she sees the stone has been removed. The stone has been removed. Now, it's very difficult to move those stones because they're whacking great big things. It's not a pebble. It's a humongous thing. But her conclusion probably is that there are people have gone in and they've robbed the grave. Because that used to happen in these days. People used to go in to graves and rob them. And so what, what happens as a result of this stone being removed? Well, you probably saw there was a lot of running around. I've never seen so much running around. 
we get it all over the place. So what does Mary do? She sees the stone. She's like, oh my goodness, the stone's been removed. We've got to, I've got to go. And so she legs it. She legs it to where? To Peter and John. Peter and John. Verse uh, 2. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. What? Peter and John probably thought. Well, we need to go and investigate this. So what do Peter and John do? They run. Let's go, lads. We're off. So they leg it off to the tomb. I love this, this scene as well, because why does John have to, have to say that he outran Peter? Now, I, I think it's probably because he's quite competitive. This would be like me. If I beat anyone I like, I would make sure they knew. Yeah? If I beat Stephen growing up, I would, might not let him know that I beat him because he might beat me up. Yeah, I was like that. Oh. <laughs> it seems like there's a competitive edge. Maybe it's not that. But what this does, I think, do for us, it shows an authenticity of the gospel witness. Doesn't it? You, you, why would you just add this in if it wasn't true? They ran. They leg it. John is quicker. Maybe he's younger and better looking. They runs, and what does he do when he gets there? Well, he didn't go in straight away. He was, he was a little bit cautious when he gets there, and he thinks, well, can I go in? And he just peers into the tomb. And Peter, because Peter's Peter, isn't he? We love Peter. Gung-ho, hey, let's get in. Yeah, comes down to the tomb, straight in I go. I'm not waiting around. I'm going to have a look in here. Yeah, and then John comes in. It shows us authenticity. The stone has been removed. We can look into the tomb. Now, you may notice at the top of your chapter heading, where the 20 is, what does it say? Right, that is wrong. That's why we can't trust these subheadings. Is the tomb empty? No, the tomb is not empty. And you might be thinking, heresy. No. John takes great care and goes to great lengths to show us that this tomb is not empty and that is cool news. What is in the tomb? What is there? Oh, wow. Linen and cloth. In fact, that word, I mean, he's, if, you don't, if you don't see it the first time, you should see it the other four times he mentions it in these verses. It's five times. And how are these cloths and these linens arra- linen arranged? It's folded up. What the, if, they were, if, if they were grave robbers, if there was grave robbers, this is not what they would do. Here are lads, let's remove that stone after, they, after they've probably taken out a few Roman soldiers, beat them up decent. Let's get that stone removed. Where's, oh, there's the body. Okay, let's take off all this expensive linen cloth. Yeah. Right, take it off. Take that, all those aloes, that 35 kilograms of aloes and myrrh that was quite pricey as well. Okay, yeah, let's leave it there. Oh, but don't cause a mess. Don't cause a mess, lads. We don't want to be, we're not animals here. So we'll, we'll gently fold them all up and we'll put them down and then we'll go with the body. Off we go, lads. Why would they just take a body? It's not grave robbers. No, something has happened here. And the proof is that there's no body, but there is linen wrapped up carefully folded, left in place. And we have two witnesses to tell us about this. We have Peter 
We have John to say there was no body in that tomb. It's a bodiless tomb. It's not an empty tomb. You might want to cross out in your, your Bible, empty, get out, and go bodiless. Yeah? So there's the proof. It is finished. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive. But let's have a look at the prophecy. Let's have a look at the Old Testament because this is the exciting stuff. What is in the tomb? Linen. The linen is in the tomb. Why is that significant? Why does John want us to know that there is linen? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, the high priest on the day of atonement would have to put on a white linen garment to go behind the curtain to offer sacrifice for the whole people. Right? He had to go into the, into the most holy of holy places and sacrifice there for the people, a representative, the high priest, with his white linen garment, not like the one he usually wore. And then when he came out, what was he to do? He had to take them off and leave them there. Right? They were done with. The job had been done. The linen had been left. What do we have in the tomb? Linen. It's finished. How cool is that? It is finished. The linen is left. It is finished. The sacrifice has been paid. How do we know? The linen is there. It's like when you finish your job, you take your work clothes off. If you're in a medical profession, you don't go home wearing PPE, do you? You look like a right laughing stock. Before you go to bed, when you've done all your jobs, and you say, no more jobs, you take off your clothes and you go to bed. Yeah, it's finished. Actually, I've been known because my jobs haven't been finished and I need to get up in the morning, I go to bed fully clothed and sleep on top of the covers because I'm such a heavy sleeper. But when we finished our jobs, we take our clothes off, put our other clothes on maybe, and we go to sleep. It's finished. It is finished. The linen pronounces that it is finished. And the Old Testament has been pointing to this, that the righteous one, the Lord Jesus, would not stay dead, that he would pave a way, he would defeat death. So we can see throughout uh, Psalm 49 and Psalm 16, 9 to 11, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 49, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Isaiah 53, 11 to 12. Therefore, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And it goes on. Death has been defeated. The grave has been conquered here. And that is what the Old Testament has been pointing towards. So we have the linen. It says that the sacrifice has been made. It has worked. We have the Old Testament prophecies that say that death will be defeated. Show that it is defeated. And so there is power in the fact that it is finished. John 
sees and he believes. Did you see that in verse 8? Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John goes in. He sees the grave clothes wrapped up and he, he says, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, and he doesn't get it all. He doesn't get what we've just gone through here. But he knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. There is power for us because the grave and death has no anymore so that we can say where oh death is your sting where oh grave is your victory see jesus has gone through i remember one contagious we did the resurrection for a whole uh, week it was fantastic and i i vividly remember one of the leaders john t taking us through he takes us through a, a, a sort of doorway and he says jesus goes through the doorway and we just follow on behind him it's, uh, he's, he's, he's paved the way. The death is defeated. The grave has been conquered. And the resurrection is the proof that the cross worked. It is finished. It is finished. It's like the receipt. How do I know I've paid for something? They give me a receipt. How do we know that the cross worked? The resurrection is the receipt that says it is finished. Now, what's amazing is where is this tomb? It's in a garden, isn't it? And one of um, a commentator called Matthew Henry, I've just realized this is not on the, the slide, but it's really cool because in Eden, death and the grave uh, find its power. Death and the grave are brought to life in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fall. But now, in another garden... Oh, I've got it! Cool, phew, I don't have to say it. In the garden... Let me read this, because it's much better when he says it. Whew. In the Garden of Eden, death and the grave first received their power, and now in a garden they are conquered, disarmed, and triumphed over. That's brilliant, isn't it? In a garden, Christ began his passion in the Gethsemane, and from a garden he would rise and begin his exaltation. There's power in the fact that it is finished. The grave has been defeated for us. There's the proof. But thirdly, it is finished. My God and your God. So we continue on. Now, just because John's believed doesn't mean everyone's believed. And so here's more proof for you. For Mary, she doesn't see it. For Mary, she doesn't believe it yet. And she is so overcome with grief for the loss of of the one who has loved her so much that you can see in the story that she doesn't seem to compute that she's chatting to two angels even. It's, isn't it weird? Uh, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. That's, that's significant, but we can't go into it right now. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Just two I always talk to angels, Mary says. Uh, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So she, she's so overcome with grief that she doesn't realize that she doesn't seem to realize that she's talking to angels. But then it goes on. Uh, they, uh, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. 
in, in verse 15. She's so overcome with grief. She so, she so can't, can't compute that the body has gone. She's looking for a dead Jesus that she doesn't realize that he's standing right there in front of her. You know, when you, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations. You might think that can't happen, but we've all been there, haven't we? You know, you're walking down a shop and, and you see someone and they're like, and you're like, who are you? And then it, and then it, and then it clicks, yeah? Or, or we miss something and you can understand why she might leave. Her eyes are filled with tears as she's weeping. She turns, she glimpses this man. It's not the body I'm looking for. And she turns around again. Sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where and I'll get him. She doesn't know what she's saying. What's she going to do? She's going to go to the body. Is she going to pick it up? She's overcome with, with grief. But in her grief, you get verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. What a sweet sound that must have been for Mary. Mary. She hears the voice of Jesus, the intimate voice of Jesus that loves her. She turns and she sees Jesus, her lover. And she touches Jesus and embraces him and clings to him and holds on to him and says, this is true. He has risen from the dead. This is the proof that he is alive. This is the proof that it is finished. And isn't it amazing? Mary Magdalene is the first woman, but she's the first person to witness the resurrected Lord Jesus. It's great this morning to talk about how important women are in gospel ministry. Well, they're so important that Jesus would use them to be the first witness of his resurrected body. So we have the proof. What about the prophecy? Look at verse 17 with me. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God." You see that? My God and your God. That is an incredible sentence because the Old Testament throughout the prophets say, and in, even in Exodus, it says that God says, I will be their God. They will be my people. This is the hope of the Old Testament that we can be in relationship with God. But it's so much bigger here because it says my God and your God, but it says my father and your father, that we will know God as father. This is what the Old Testament is trying to Bring us back to. Why do you think it's in a garden? Why do you think she mistakes him for the gar- as a gardener? How does God relate to his people in Eden? He walks with his people, Adam and Eve. He walks with them in his finished creation. Creation starts in a dark day. And then the light comes in. And after he finishes his work of creation, he rests with his people. Do you see the parallels? We come to another garden. Once he finishes his work on the cross and in the resurrection, he is with his people, Mary. And they're at rest now. No more work to be done just to enjoy me forever. And so there's power in the people. 
power that we have now, a relationship with God as Father. The cross has achieved the fact that we can call God Father. Do you remember in John chapter 10, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 4, well, in first in verse 3, he says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in verse 4, he goes on ahead of them. That's the resur- that could be the resurrection right there, isn't it? He goes on ahead of them. We follow. And his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Mary. She turns. Rabboni. There is a relationship with God the Father. But there's more. There is rest for us. An eternal rest. No longer do I have to try and justify myself. No wonder, no, no more do I have to try and make, make right the wrongs that I have done. But there's more. What was she doing before she sees Jesus? She's crying. She's weeping. There is grief. There are tears. And at the end, there's joy. There's power in the cross and the resurrection. It is finished. Tears are no longer needed. There is joy when we know the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And, the, and he's saying, don't cling on to me here because this is more than a physical thing now. I'm going to be with the Father. This is a spiritual reality that we are children of the living God, that we have eternal rest, that we have joy, no longer tears. And because of those things, we can go out And like Mary, we can go and tell people, I have seen the Lord. That's their mission now. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And through her eyes, we can now say, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. So it is finished. Here's my fourth point. I've snuck one in. Sorry. I know I said three, but it's a secret one. Here's the fourth one. It is finished. Have you seen and have you believed? Have you seen and have you believed? 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 15, 1 to 4, somewhere around here. I saw it before. There it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Now, brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved because it is finished. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Nothing more important than this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. He was buried in a grave, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This is of first importance. So have you seen this and have you believed this? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never believed. Well, let me say, look again. Look and see. Look and see. Look and see as the Lord Jesus is pierced and blood and water comes out and reminds us that it's by the blood that we are justified. There is nothing that I can do to make myself right with God, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can cover over, over all my sins and make me right with God. Look at the water that pours out and says, I can clean you of all the sin and of all the shame in your life. Look at the grave and see that he is risen and it shows that it is finished. Look at him who died and rose again and to end 
sin, to end shame, to defeat death and the grave, to bring you into a relationship with God the Father. Look, look and see and trust. Be like John, believe, believe, believe. And Christian, maybe you have had those doubts before. Maybe you've not said it like that. Is it finished? Is it finished? Yes, it is finished. How good are those three words? It is finished. And so, yes, you may suffer in this world. You may have persecution and you can say, no, it is finished. You may look at this world going away from Jesus and you can say, yes, that people don't want to know Jesus, but I know that it is finished. We might look and we might be confronted with our sin and our shame and think, is it finished? But we can say, it is finished. Isn't that good news? I get it wrong. I've messed up again. Praise God that it is finished. Praise God that I can have confidence that because of the cross and the resurrection, I am forgiven. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am restored. One of their One of the classic songs now that we sing, before the throne of God above, what do we sing? When Satan tempts me to despair, I feel my shame, I feel my sin. What do I do? Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died. Isn't that great news? It is finished. It is finished. And the cross and the resurrection prove it. And so, like Nicodemus and Joseph, let's go to the cross. Let's serve the Savior of the world. Like Mary, let's go and tell, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the one that says, it is finished, who can save you from your sin. So that you may know God as Father. Take a moment to think through those things and Dean will bring us to...